You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to your local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the one who's lost that love and feeling, Christy Morris. Yes, hello. Uh, We are coming to you from Fightertown, USA. Yes, I said it. It's an awesome place. It is. It's fantastic. Do you feel the need for speed? I do feel the need for speed. Um, I, I actually feel sorry for everybody who goes to Top Gun these days because it is not in California anymore. It's actually in Nevada. So way well, less exciting than being by the beach. Yeah. yeah. I vote beach. Yeah. So Miramar, <laughs> California, much better place to have Firetown USA than Nowheresville, you know, Nevada. So Reno or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but w- as you can tell, we're going to be talking about Top Gun. Of course, we were looking forward to the fact when, and we should have had just right around the corner, Top Gun Maverick that's going to be coming out, but that's pushed till next year. So we figured, you know, we might as well just talk about Top Gun anyway, because why not? And it all uh, started somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. That's right. So I'm excited to dive into this one. It had been a while since I had watched it, and I got a chance to check it out on the new 4K, which, whew, man, if you thought Tom Cruise looked good, just wait till you see Tom Cruise in 4K. So, Mm. yeah, yeah. Tell you what, the volleyball (laughs) scene, so much better in 4K. All right. (laughs) I'll have to get that 4K. You should, you should. But uh, before we dive into everything, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit us up with a star rating and review. Let people know what you think of the show. Um, you know, it's it's really still the best way to help a show grow is to give it a review over there. But you can subscribe and make sure you get the show uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And then that way you get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can also find us over at trek.fm, which is a great place to check out all that we're doing. And then, of course, you can also go to the contact section and you can uh, hit up Christy and I with an email that way. Um, maybe you've got some ideas of things that you'd like to hear us talk about in the show with, you know, so little movies coming out right now. Um, you never know. You never know. So, um, you know, Christy, I, I really I had so much fun watching this movie. And part of that was going back and watching the extras for the movie as well as doing some reading about the movie because this is a movie i don't know about you but you know i i never knew all the inspirations and and the quite quite the amount of involvement that we got through the u.s military with the film but part of that is because this just feels like a movie i don't know if you feel this way but i honestly can't remember the first time i saw top gun because it just feels like one of those movies that has been with me forever you know what i'm saying Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was thinking to myself, if someone asked me how many times I have watched it, I really don't know. Probably over 100 throughout my 33 years of life. I mean, you know, I'm probably... Wow. Yeah, uh, 
yeah it's it's one that's just like i'm i'm just gonna give it away right out the gate i it's a favorite i've yeah. watched it over and over and over and over and over again so yeah i don't remember the first time either <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that because, you know, normally in, in many of the shows we do, we kind of talk about our experience with the movie. And it's just like, this is one of those films that just feels like it's been with me forever. And it's it's not the, that's not the case. Right. Like, I, I know mm-hmm. that that's not true. Um, But, yeah, there's just something about it that has just I've lost I haven't lost the love and feeling, but I've just lost the ability mm-hmm. to recollect the first time I saw this. But. I was really surprised to hear that this article article from a magazine called The Californian, uh, it was entitled Top Guns, and that's what inspired Jerry Bruckheimer and his partner uh, Simpson to hire two writers to write a draft of this movie because they were so, they thought this article was just so cool. Um, and they, they thought it would make a great movie, this idea of getting an inside look at, you know, what uh, these guys who become the best fighter pilots that we have um, go through. And I just thought that was really interesting is, wow, wow, like it just shows you can get inspiration anywhere. Like you could just be reading a magazine like somebody in Hollywood. Oh, that they to option a magazine article to make a movie off of. That's crazy. Right. Like you, you really got to stretch a lot to get from that to having a full script for a movie. (laughs) So like, yeah, but, but it's, it's great that they went about it with that kind of passion from the get go, because you see that. I mean, it's, it's not just like a documentary that's going to bore you to death. It's showing the excitement as well as the consequences of things that these kind of fighter pilots are doing every day. And so that's really a basis for a good story to stem from. And then they just filled in the gaps. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because, you know, uh, they sent one of the writers down to actually uh, attend some declassified classes at Top Gun. And you got to fly an F-14. And the first draft of the script isn't one that they're like super happy with, but they, they continue working on it and refining it till we get to the one that we know, which I, th- I think is really fascinating. Um, but a, a big part of that, I think, is is not just that they, like you said, they don't want to make this a documentary, but they also want the movie to feel real. And for them, they knew that the only way to truly do that was have the U.S. Navy involved in the production of the film and I, in in many ways, it's their influence that kind of helps create the script, make the changes to make this feel more real. Um, and I just thought, you know, what an like the Navy kind of takes a risk here to say, yes, we want to be involved in this. But they also mm-hmm. see the potential, I think, you know, and I was interesting because listening to on this documentary, some of the uh, original uh, Navy guys who are a, a part of the production, they see the potential of what this movie could do for the Navy and for Navy airmen. And, and so they take the chance. And 
mm-hmm. their involvement actually really kind of creates the film in many ways that we see um, because they help change some things, make it even more realistic in some ways. Um, and they they also, I think, you know, just by allowing them to use, you know, I mean, they get to use the USS Enterprise. They get to use the fighter planes. You know, some of the guys mm-hmm. that are in the film actually fly in some of these um, planes. Now, they're not actually flying them, but they're in the cockpit being filmed. Yeah. You know, so like all of that, I think, was just really fascinating. It just shows how, you you know, you go from the inspiration of this article that's about the real life adventures of these top guns to this this real life experience of these naval officers helping them forge this. And I think you get something that does feel special. I mean regardless of you know how close some of this is to reality the movie has a feeling of reality to it yeah i think that they absolutely couldn't have done it near as well as they did without that level of partnership with the navy because for one thing there's a lot of lingo but i feel like the way that they explain it through showing you in the movie explains it for you without having to give a lot of expositional dialogue. So, you know, for example, I never would have known what the word hard deck meant right. before. <laughs> but they they explain it through saying, you know, the level was 10,000 feet. You went below it. You broke the rules of engagement. I go, oh, OK, well, that's what hard deck means then. Case closed. But it's cool because they're using it and using it in the right way that they're just explaining everything to people on the outside of the military like you and I to really get a a sneak peek of what it might be like to be one of the top guns or be in the Navy. And I think that that's the coolest thing about the whole movie is that I feel like, well, I don't feel like there is a lot of things with the military that civilians can't be in on. Because intelligence is an important thing to keep close to the chest so that we um, can protect our country. Um, But it's really cool when you do get to see this glimpse of the things that they do that we don't always get to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and what was interesting, too, is that, um, you know, the the Navy does a, a, I mean, they make some interesting changes. You know, the opening dogfight was supposed to happen in uh, near Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. and instead they moved it to international waters uh, to make it a little bit more friendly around the world. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, you put it up against, uh, you know, Russian MIGs, you know, that doesn't really bother too many people in the world other than Russia. Uh, and right. at that point, nobody cared in the United States so, of that. And then I, I thought this was really interesting too, because the Navy also helps them. They, they want to tone down the language actually. And that was interesting to me that that's something they have a problem with. You think of like, you know, war movies or whatever and, and guys kind of not having the best mouths or whatever. But this is something, I mean, with mm-hmm. the Navy being involved, they want to kind of make this feel a little bit more clean cut. Um, and then I thought one of the smartest things they do, too, is that, you know, Navy officers uh, are not uh, allowed to uh, fraternize with each other officers and enlisted personnel so they Mm. changed you know um the 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 character of charlie from 
uh, you know, a naval officer to a contractor. So that way there wasn't anything, um, you know, wrong with them having a relationship. Whether it's the smartest idea is a different story. But yeah, right. they they, uh, they changed that. And I just thought that was really like the Navy actually brings in those things again that kind of help make this a more realistic movie to those mm-hmm. who would be watching that are in the military that then to us it makes it feel i think more real because it is more real um you know and there's there's some places we can talk about later that where it does diverge from reality um but they they definitely worked as hard as possible to make it real but they never allowed uh, realism to get in the way of telling a good story at the same time. And I think, you know, that's, mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that, that, you know, when you're making a movie, you, you have to be, you have to realize is like, you can't, um, you can't w- allow reality to get in the way of a good story, you know, because it's a movie, right? you know, like and be so bogged down in the details exactly, that you forget the good yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was really great is that, you know, they give them all of this this information, but then in the end, like, this is about trying to create the best story that people are going to enjoy as a movie. Yeah, and I have to give a shout out to that. I think the number one thing that makes this so believable is the fact that they have the shots of the actual planes, you know, the F-14s and things like that, and the MiGs and all of the film shots that they did from inside the cockpit. Um, and having them, you know, especially with like the, the costume design, it wasn't really costume design, you know, like they're all wearing like real uniforms and helmets and stuff. So it feels more real because of those things too, you know, like just seeing them snap on and off their mouth guard thing. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about and I don't know what you call it either. Cause they're I'm breathing not... tube. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We'll just call it the breathing tube. Yeah. <laughs> well, in. You know, as we were, we kind of mentioned earlier, like this does pay off huge for the Navy, like their recruitment. I think I was listening to the guys, uh, the military guys, and they were talking about that it went up 35, 40 percent. And oh, I bet at, at the same time, they're apologizing to all of the guys who were now in the military because they thought it was going to be just like this. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, because the movie even talks about like Top Gun is for like the 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 top i think one percent they say you know like it's for the very elite which means that not everybody is going to be the best fighter pilot in the world you know like it 99 percent of you won't be exactly (laughs) that's a lot yeah so i think um you know that's something that's really interesting so it does end up being a huge recruitment tool for the, the the navy um but and we talked about this when we talked about Hunt for October. One of the reasons that they got involved with that movie is because they also saw the uh, ability of that to help the submarine community, uh, and so mm-hmm. they hoped that it would do the same for the submarine community that this movie did for naval aviation. So, um, yeah, I just I, and and I think one of the reasons that. I think people still respond to this movie, as you mentioned earlier, you you have the involvement of the Navy in allowing them to film actual planes. And mm-hmm. I think that creates such a realism. And we'll talk about it a little bit later about all of that. But like, again, their involvement made a huge difference in this movie feeling more real. 
And I think that's one of the reasons that has continued to be um, such a success and some, something that people still go back and watch because there's something about it that feels more real than just if you knew and you could tell it was just a model all the time. Yeah, or if it was like all filmed on a green screen, you know, where you're just sitting in a cockpit model and you're pretending to fly, you know, it's, it's a lot different than actually having an actor sitting in a real cockpit and filming shots of planes flying for real and, you know, actually having uh, even seeing like the aircraft carriers. That was yep, something yep. that was really cool for me and seeing them, you know, taking off and landing off of those. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree. So, um, one of the things, and and I was really, I, I'm really glad that I watched the behind the scenes stuff on this because something I did not know. Obviously, Tom Cruise is is a star at this point, but this movie kind of really catapults his career. But mm-hmm. I didn't know just how much Tom Cruise made himself a part of every single part of this film beyond just being an actor in it. Like he legitimately puts into his contract that he's a part of everything and not so that he can like necessarily be the guy to have an opinion about it all, but it's because he wanted to learn what it meant to make movies from all points of view. And I thought that was really fascinating because you see here this guy who desires not just to be a movie star, but he wants to be involved in all sides of movies. And I think, you know, this is this is the thing, you know, how to look at how successful he is now with being a producer and the Mission Impossible series and the way he picks movies and everything. Yep. You see this man who who dedicated himself to learning about the process beyond just him being the best movie star he could be. It was about being the best person in movies that he could be and i think it just kind of speaks highly to to who he is as as a person when it comes to his work ethic and i had so much more respect after hearing that for him i mean i know what he's become now and what he does but to hear that it started all the way back then when he's like 21 years old like talk about some foresight as a as an actor Right. And really just going for it because that's kind of a risky thing and you may not get what you want when you try yep. to do that. Yep. I would say probably a lot of actors don't. But he yeah, I loved that he really wanted to be already at this point so involved in every aspect and and that this is really when you start to see that Tom Cruise that we get in Mission Impossible where he's wanting to do his own stunts, where he's wanting to come up with ideas on how to do a shot. You know, I think that it's really um, prevalent or I'm sorry, not prevalent, evident later when you see then how much he's involved in the making of this movie. So yeah, I, I think that it's really cool, especially how much he gets into like wanting to play a character legitimately in every way he can and making it 360 degrees, I guess yeah, is what yeah, I would say. No. Like, yeah. Like a fully fledged character, like he wants him yeah. to be a, a rounded character. He doesn't want this flat, boring type of thing. And I think you're absolutely right. You see here the the guy who he wants it to be real for the audience because it's real for him because he's in yeah. the moment in the plane, right? You know, and like that was also part of the contract. He made sure it was in there is that he gets to fly in the planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I 
heartily agree. I think that's one of the things that begins to set him apart as an actor is that if he's going to film a movie, he wants to be the one filming the movie, not the stunt mm-hmm. double. And he he knows that that reality makes a difference. And, and honestly, he's right. You know, when you know Tom Cruise, you know, in Mission Impossible Fallout, jumps out of a plane in a halo jump and he's the one doing it, it 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 elevates that scene you know oh yeah because like you're suddenly realizing the real danger he was in and you're going man that guy's awesome and you know it's (laughs) right you know it's not fake now you know a bunch of things in that shot are fake where they've they may digitally alter the sky or something like that but the fact that Mm -hmm. he's literally falling in the halo jump all that's real that's the stuff that just kind of blows your mind and I think Tom Cruise is good in the role. Rewatching mm-hmm. it, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I was very impressed with how well he's able to portray all of the motions that he's required to portray and really make you feel the guy going from this cocky guy to the guy who's not sure he can handle it because of what's happened to him and the added pressure uh, that he feels with this weight he carries around of the... um the feelings people have about his father and not necessarily knowing the truth about all of that, but he has to carry the round, basically the sins of the father, mm-hmm. even though we find out his father didn't do anything wrong. You know, he's actually a hero. So it's like yeah. all of that stuff. I think I, th- Tom Cruise is great. Again, he's a, he's a really young actor at this point, but he makes you believe and he makes you pull for the character um, because, you know, it can be hard to pull for the character who's just so cocksure and full of themselves. Oh yeah. But he does it in a way that's lovable. And I think to me, the turning moment is when he's talking to goose and goose comes in and he's like, you know, I, I got a family, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that moment of realization, um, I think helps, you know, change things. And, and, and it it just, again, I think, I think he's, you know, we can make Tom Cru- fun of Tom Cruise for for different things or whatnot, but I, I'm constantly impressed when I go back and see his movies, um, just how well he actually did it in them. Yeah, yeah. I think too. I feel like the scene where he's talking to Viper and Viper says, "We have to push it. That's our job." You can see it on both of their faces as well that they really get across that he's Maverick is understanding the weight of what goes on up there at this point, that it's no longer just I'm having a great time and I'm a hot shot and I'm really good at this. He's finally realizing that there are serious implications to doing that job, that it's not all just fun and games, that it's, you know, people's lives are at stake but by the same token that viper says it's kind of a guarantee that you're going to lose people and that you have to find a way to move on from that and that you don't want to and it's terribly sad but it's kind of inevitable with what they do yeah no i i really like that too um and what i what i thought was was great and i think it's it's just kind of a great place to enter in here is like I love the way the movie kind of, because you mentioned this in in our outline, but the way the movie 
talks about this idea of why we have rules um, and the idea of dealing with loss. And we play those two out with his character specifically, you know, mm-hmm. and in the beginning, you know, he is, he is an incredible pilot, but there's a difference between being utterly, utterly reckless and, um, being, uh, just really good. And there's a recklessness in him that is going to get him into trouble one day. And, mm-hmm. um, it almost does a couple of times, you know, and some of his really rash actions get them in trouble, him and, and Goose, you know, and, and they could get them kicked out of this program and everything, too. So um, I love the idea of, like, us realizing that to be the best isn't about breaking all the rules. Um, it's about many times finding a way to bend them without breaking them, right? Right. Um, and and those people that are the best are usually the ones who are able to do that um, because they even talk about the reason, you know, when they get in trouble about going below the hard deck, mm-hmm. you know, the reason that's the case, it's for their safety. It's not, yeah, you know, and this is already a dangerous thing anyway when you're going Mach 2, you know. Right. So. And, and they say multiple times in a $30 million plane. Yeah. <laughs> One plane. $30 million. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, calm down. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Simmer down now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's the biggest lesson to me. The whole movie is other, uh, aside from him dealing with loss and learning about that whole lesson of the, the consequences that could happen of everything he does, um, but also that there is a reason that the rules exist. There, there aren't rules of engagement just for funsies, you know, like it... The reason that there's um, the rule about not leaving your wingman is because the whole reason you've got one is so that someone is always there to help you out if you have an engine failure or if you get shot down. You know, it's it's these things so that there's a plan B in place and repeatedly Maverick leaves his wingman and they have to come back and say again, no, like there's, once again, there's a reason why we say you never leave your wingman. <laughs> Because you don't. And yeah, uh, yeah he, he's the rogue and finds out that maybe there's some things that Iceman is doing right that he could learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, not only, you know, there's there's not only this idea of like learning to play by the rules, but there is also that idea of, um, you know, not thinking yourself the best so much that you can't learn from other people. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we see him struggle with that specifically, you know, Maverick struggle with that idea of like uh, learning from other people and 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 thinking himself so good that he can't learn from anyone else. And and there's a danger in that as well, because a lack of of humility is it can also be a huge detriment Um, and it can get you Mm -hmm. into a huge amount of trouble as well. So, you know, I think uh, uh, you know, all of those things when we're talking about Maverick, you know, his his, you know, reason for the, the rules and dealing with the loss that he has and, and all of these things. I, I I'm still kind of amazed, you know, rewatching the film, how well all of this, I think, really works in the movie, because I mean, you know, you, I think so much of the movie we kind of think of as just being cheesy and everything. And there is some of that right with. Mm hmm. The volleyball scene, which is basically his uh, 
Tony Scott for the all director. the ladies. Yeah, he literally just called. He he said he was he was basically shooting softcore porn, uh, you know, uh, with these guys and and everything. Um, but you know, again, all of that said, I think the the thematic element in watching this character go from one place to another, which is being somebody who's so self assured, to being somebody who realizes the danger of that um, and mm-hmm. how to actually kind of like move forward as a human being and to grow is, is good. You know, it's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, yeah, really in, impressed with it, honestly, uh, especially in the rewatch. Cause again, it's been a long time since I'd seen this. And sometimes you come back to a movie like this and it just doesn't hold up as much. Mm-hmm. But with that being the main character story, I think it really does, you know, hold up. Um, so uh, what did you like coming back into this, you know, um, what did you think of, you know, Kelly McGillis here as Charlie? You know, it's weird because this is the only thing I remember ever seeing her in, in any movie ever. Um, and this, I think really was like the height of her career, but she is so good in this movie. I think that you always feel the weight of her decisions, um, especially when she says, I was worried everyone in that room could see right through me because she's got a point. Like she's there to be an instructor and he's still a student. And yes, even though they are technically allowed to date because she's not an officer in the Navy, it's still more taboo. Um, And you know, she needs to maintain that level of respect as the instructor of the class. So I like that they have her say, like, I still have a job to do. I like you, but I'm not going to sacrifice my career. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, why should she, you know? Um, yeah. You know, she she needs to keep her. I mean, there does have to be a level of decorum then um, and, and a, not showing favoritism, right? You know, and mm-hmm. so, and I love the way she describes it to him. It's like, yeah, what you said that wasn't necessarily bad or whatever, but but the textbook answer and the one that we are here to train people on would then be this, you know, and like that's why she really gets on him too. And so, yeah, I I also think um, I love that they chose somebody who's a little bit older than Tom Cruise and had a little bit more mm-hmm. of an air of maturity, so that. Uh, you know, I, I think the relationship that she has with with Maverick is one in which she is the adult in the relationship and he's still learning how to be a man. And I don't mm-hmm. think he's really truly a man until the end of the movie when he's made his way through losing his friend, coming back out the other side of that. And... um Learning, I think, in some ways, how to control some of that ego, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, th- I think this movie shows how, you know, Maverick kind of comes off as the classic kind of alpha male, but I think the movie is 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 actually about showing you that's not true manhood, right? And it's yeah. interesting because, uh, you know, I think that his relationship with her 
does a good job of pointing out his flaws, especially when he just so childish when he comes out and he's revving the microcycle and she's trying to talk to him, you know, like the whole scene's oh, really yeah. childish, right? He's um, pitching a little baby fit. He pretty much, pretty much. A baby Tom Cruise <laughs> fit. Um and but, you know, then she explains to him and everything, and I think it, you know, it makes it better. And I just, you know, I I think they do a pretty good job with her as a character and and i you know you're right on on target because kelly mcgillis had just done witness so she was huge because you just done witness with um harrison ford Mm -hmm. and so she was a huge star at that point and yeah i think they really made the right choice by not going younger or um you know she comes off as so glamorous too she feels kind of like an old hollywood star Oh yeah, which I really liked the the look that they gave her. I mean, she felt like she she almost feels like she comes out of one of those like nineteen forties fifties movies, you know, like she's right. Audrey Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn type of feel to her. So all of that I think really works. Yeah, I think what we're we're both feeling is she's very poised. Yes, that's a good word. As an actress, when she comes in, you feel a presence especially the scene where she walks out you know they're having the class outside and she walks out and uh, is starting to talk for the first time in front of all of them um you can really sense like oh she means business and i like the the costuming that they did for her that even though she's a civilian she's still wearing more military looking clothing and it's not super feminine like she's wearing like the leather jacket or, you know, like a, a trucker hat, things like that, um, still make her look like part of the group, even though she's not technically enlisted. It's funny you mentioned that hat because that's a scene that they had to add later on uh, in the cut. They realized they needed some kind of buildup and they also wanted they 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 didn't have it in the movie at the beginning, but they wanted to add a love scene. Um, mm-hmm. so they added the elevator scene and then the love scene to kind of like bring their, their romance full circle there. And mm-hmm. by the point they were filming that she had cut her hair really short. So they had to cover it up. So they had to cover it all up and like make it look. <laughs> so that's why she's wearing the hat, uh, in that scene. But it's and perfect. The, yeah. So then she's having, you know, wearing the wig, um, in, in the scene where they're, you know, uh, kissing and, you know whatever you know all the stuff uh Mm -hmm. so uh no i i think she is i think she does a really good job in the film and i think um it's it's just it's a good performance on her part too and i think um i i'm i think i'm most glad that they chose her because i think you're absolutely right i love the word you chose because she has poise and that's exactly mm-hmm. what you want is somebody who can kind of command the presence of these men and not just because of what she looks like, but because she can not only speak on their level, but she can one up most of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And so um, that's the thing I really appreciated the most is like, you know, she's she's just as smart when it comes to these tactics. And, you know, she's not flying these planes, but she knows she knows what she's talking about inside out and they never yeah. make her um they never make her feel less than that in the movie um just because she's the love interest uh and so mm-hmm. i really appreciate that that's the case 
And that scene, too, uh, when they're outside, like I said, and he's telling her for the first time about his interaction with the MIG. That's my favorite scene of the whole movie. <laughs> because I was inverted. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what were you doing there? Keeping up foreign relations? You know. Like the bird. <laughs> you know, like the finger. Yes, I know the finger, Goose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, can Can we just mention real quick like that is one thing i you know rewatching this movie uh especially i think the first 20 minutes of it like there are it is so snappily written mm-hmm. uh it's it's just very 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 good writing i'm like i am truly impressed with the the dialogue and the writing um at the beginning of the movie like i think I think it's really, really sharp um, and can't say that for every movie, but I, 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 this one I was, I thought it was really sharp. I think it is throughout the whole movie. I mean, the fact that even then at the end, the last line exchanged is a callback to their first meeting. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. like, uh, I crashed and burned on the first one. So, and she goes, uh, and the second, and he says, I don't know, but it's going good so far. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Um, you know, I uh, I think one of the characters that kind of gets undersold in the movie and and mainly just because I think Val Kilmer really plays the role of Iceman well, and I think what what fascinated me the most about him is how well he plays the fact that yeah, he ends up winning the, you know, he ends up winning the trophy even though there isn't a trophy at all in mm-hmm. Top Gun just Hate, right it's a plaque it. yeah it's not even a plaque um there isn't anything there's no winner or loser uh at top gun there oh in real you, life yeah in real life you either pass <laughs> or you fail that's it um okay. so basically you're first or last so you either first or last <laughs> no points for second place that's no points for second place yeah basically so you either pass or you fail um yeah. and you know i think that's something that is but with you know with the way they do it in the movie and everything and and i i thought to me the most fascinating thing was the fact that you you do have iceman and he's he's definitely good um but you can always tell he actually is second mhm you know and i thought that was really fascinating and but but part of that is is that when what I kind of liked about the movie is that he's not all wrong about the problem of of Maverick, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that was something that like you kind of set him up as the 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 quote unquote nemesis of the movie, but he actually has some valid points, and I think that's what makes him so interesting. And um, I I think you know he doesn't really have a ton of a good like, character arc or anything like that but you know Val Kilmer I think does everything he can with the role to make it iconic and um really make it his own and make it cool and he does a great job with it and so um and I I I like that that kind of that more realism of like you know you come up the, against these people that you kind of rub off on each other and sometimes you know when that happens that friction between people it could be a good thing or a bad thing. And here, I think it ends up turning out to be a good thing for both of them, honestly, right? So I mm-hmm. I, I like that as well. 
Yeah, like it kind of reminds me even of like the uh, the two kids in school that end up being the valedictorian and the salutatorian, you know, they they make each other continue to push the other person. And so it does end up in their favor in this situation, because it's like, yeah, even though Iceman doesn't have his own character arc, he's really there to say there's a, a point to being safe in what you do. Um, but then also not playing it too safe is Maverick's point of like, you still have to be creative and do things to surprise your enemy because they're always going to be one step ahead of you. So I, I like that they balance each other in that sense. And that Iceman is really there to hold Maverick accountable for the recklessness mm-hmm. and say, yeah, look, once again, there's a reason you don't leave your wingman. And mm-hmm. hey, I don't like you because you're unsafe. Or no, he says you're dangerous. Yeah. No, that's a great way to, I mean, I really think that's a great way to put it, is he's there to hold him accountable. In the, and and I, think, I think he shows the other side and somebody who's, who's maybe uh, closer to where Maverick should be, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially if, if Maverick can find a way to just rein in. And again, I think it's some of his ego, right? Oh, um, yeah. I, I think, I think that's really, uh, I think that's really the thing. So, um, and you know, one of the things that I, I really, um, I really love about this movie is, is Anthony Edwards, because I, I think he's, he's really the heart and soul of the film, you know, and, and his oh, yeah. relationship obviously with, with Maverick and just the, who he is for Maverick and the fact that like he's his only family. I think that's really kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think you don't have a story here without goose because Anthony Edwards, especially portrayal of him is that he, yes, he likes to go and be Maverick's wingman and, you know, in and out of the plane <laughs> and have a good time. But at the end of the day, he has a son, he has a wife, and it's still also a job for him. You know, like he said to Maverick, like you mentioned earlier, it's not just fancy flying for me. Like I have other people to think about than just myself. And so I love that he brings those moments of responsibility into Maverick's life and reminds him of the things that are at stake for him um and you know it's kind of sad that although maverick says to goose you're my family and i'm not gonna let you down he says it a couple times and then still ends up losing him and it you know even though it technically wasn't his fault he feels like it was because he notices himself now you know in hindsight being reckless yeah no i there's just something about him that I think, uh, and and the thing that I I love uh, most about Goose is just how real he is. Like he is, mm-hmm. he's that real person. He's, and I think he's the person that you want, who you would want to be your best friend. Yeah, like he's a good friend. And here's actually just a cute little tidbit about me. By the way, I had a friend in high school who is now a pilot, not in the military, but just a pilot in general, um, whose nickname is Goose. Nice. And we're still friends on Facebook. That's cool. 
So shout out to Justin. I love you, Goose. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, I think um, I really liked that you had both of these guys in the movie. Um, but I think uh, both Tom Skerritt and Michael Ironside, who play Jester and uh, Viper, were the perfect choices uh, for their roles. They they mm-hmm. have such authority, but they also have, I think, such warmth to them when they want to. And I think that's the thing to me that really kind of stood out in the movie was um, the way in which they both are helping mold these young men and trying to make them the best pilots they can. But you can also tell that they care more. Uh, they care just as much about these, these these men's emotional health and who they are and who they're you know trying to be and all those things. And, um, and they want to make sure that they're they're putting the best guys in those seats that they possibly can. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and I just, I really uh, like, I really like both of them. And I think um, it's just, it, 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 again, this movie is, I, I think overall, this movie is just so well cast. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, I think too, you had to have, actors with this kind of gravitas that like command respect that come across like they could be officers in the Navy anyway, um, to play those roles, especially Viper, because I think that they're really trying to show you Viper is the leader here. He's where the buck stops and he's got the experience to back it up. But then I like that they add that level of, heart and a little more background to him by having the conversation where Maverick comes over to his house and before graduation, they have that chat and he says, I flew with your dad. I knew him and this could possibly get me fired, but I'm going to tell you what really happened because I think you need to hear it. Your dad did everything right. And it's like Maverick needed to finally reach that point of not feeling like he's always taking the consequences of stuff that his dad did and not even knowing if it's true. Um, But Tom Skerritt is such like a father figure in the role of Viper that it gets all of that across really well. And I I just really, really like him. I think you don't get a lot of Michael Ironside as Jester, but what you do get of him is really good. And especially in the scene where I'm going to bring it up again, but don't leave your wingman. Thank you, Jester. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I just I think both of them do exactly what you need to do, and like you said, I think you picked the the perfect word. It's like they have such a presence, such a gravitas on screen that you immediately know they are the authority figures. But there's mm-hmm. also this kind of um, fatherliness to them where it doesn't have to be. They could just be, you know, the the hard ass people. Um, like they have to be hard on him but they also care about their guys yes exactly it's more than it's more than just about again it's more than just about making them the best fighter pilots so Mm -hmm. you know i think that they they play it so well uh to me you know (laughs) the fact that we have real planes and models in this movie and honestly I can't tell the difference in 4K is what makes this movie work so well 
the fact that all of the effects marry perfectly with the actual footage that they've used, I think is fantastic. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's even as I was watching this movie with my wife, I was thinking to myself and I was even saying out loud to her, how did they do this? Because it does feel so realistic. It feels so true to what you think, at least like they make it feel real enough that you're like, this has got to be what it's like. Right. Uh, like there's maybe one scene where I can tell that it um, seems a little out of place um, in the first fight with Jester. But otherwise, I would say everything is so seamless. I definitely um, when they're doing all of the other fight scenes um, in the air, um, like I mentioned earlier, when they're taking off and landing on the aircraft carrier, um, pretty much everything the way even that it's edited together is done so well. Um, it, I think especially to this, the last fight where Maverick is taking out the two MIGs that are on Iceman, it's really done well. And I, I think you're absolutely right that if, if they hadn't had real planes and then the models when they needed them here and there, that it wouldn't have looked as good as it did. And then especially saying that it looks that good in 4K, I'll take your word for it, but... For 1986 to then now look that good, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they just do such a good job of, you know, with the footage that they shot, with the planes, with the different cameras that they. I mean, they had to they had to create all of these camera mounts because you know they don't have GoPros at this point, um, right? You know, <laughs> uh, they and then the model work that they're doing is really incredible. There are points where they're even using uh, some models from a model shop. And the the one one of the parts where they're doing the spin, you know, the spin out, um, mm-hmm. that's literally a, like a toy model that they got at a, at a model shop that's falling towards the camera. And like one of the shots is actually cuts out right before it hit the camera. You know, like, <laughs> so the fact that you just can't tell really that, that what's what, Shows how hard they really worked on this. And, you know, the only real big inaccuracies in this part of the film is that, you know, with the dogfighting of the planes, um, because they need the planes to be in the same frame, a lot of this is inaccurate in that way because that's not necessarily how it all works, you know? It makes it more exciting. Um, But, you know, it still feels real. And I think that's the thing that they really they realize too. It's for the story, and this is a place too where they really struggled in the edit, where they had to find the story for what was going on in the air with all the footage they shot. And this is one mm-hmm. of those movies where everything in the air was pretty much crafted in the editing room, and it just goes to show how important editing is to making something feel right and they got it right oh yeah so yeah 100 percent. because otherwise the two things don't mesh together at all i mean other otherwise you have an 80s romance and a navy documentary <laughs> exactly and and that's kind of what they where they were is like they were in in the edit they weren't they weren't telling a story and mm-hmm. so I think um, that's there's a real beauty in that they were they were telling they found a way to tell the story in the air to to drive 
everything um, to what they were doing, what was on the ground, you know? And so, um, obviously this movie has an incredible soundtrack and it's, it's really popular. Uh, but I was shocked to learn that Kenny Loggins wasn't going to record danger zone. It was supposed to be Toto. Can you imagine? No, I, I mean, I love Toto. Africa is one of my favorite songs, but it would have been the total wrong vibe for that song and for this movie. I mean, it just, I, I, I didn't, you know, um, I had no idea. Like, I was just shocked mm-hmm. because you always just think, I mean, Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone, like, this is big. And, and this is what was so fascinating to me to learn about the soundtrack is that uh, they had all of these music composers and stuff coming in to write songs specifically for the movie. Right. Like it wasn't like they were popular songs before the movie. Which is crazy and and awesome to me. Like that you're Mm -hmm. really trying to make this movie uh, and the music fit the movie. And so what was funny to me is that Kenny Loggins wrote the song Playing With The Boys uh, and... He did that specifically because he was thinking, like, this is probably a scene most people aren't going to write a, a, a song to. And, of course, they chose that song for the movie. And then when Toto had to pull out of recording Danger Zone, they asked Kenny Loggins if he wanted to do it. And he's like, yeah. So I just mm-hmm. think, like, how crazy that it just kind of fell in his lap to to record not only... um the the title song but one of the most popular songs he's ever done like you know yeah you know when you think of kenny loggins to me i mean i know he's a folk singer but i always think of footloose and danger zone oh yeah i think of danger zone first and foremost and it it fits so well with what they're doing in the movie and i don't know like the vocals too that's like to me quintessential what i love about the 80s even his vocals on that song remind me of why i love brian adams you know i hear you and the guitar like oh it's and then then they reuse some of the guitar riffs later Mm -hmm. oh it's so good like that that scene when he's uh throwing the dog tags into the water and that Well, and that's cool, too, because that theme ended up being written before they even started filming the movie. And Mm -hmm. um, that that that, I mean, it it obviously became the theme of the movie. And it was something that they were able to, like, play for each other and get each other pumped up. But, yeah, that, you know, uh, that really fit the movie so well to, to basically I mean, they, they they talked to the composer about his the the choices he's making. He was like, "I just saw this as basically rock and roll in the air," mm-hmm. you know. And so that's that's who these guys are too. Like they were even talking about you know um, when they were casting the guys and everything. Is they you know all of these guys are you have to be basically a really good athlete to be able to fly these type of planes because of all the g-forces you've got and everything um you know if you think you know car racing is you got to be an athlete for that i mean this is like twice three times that right so yeah uh and that they really kind of then actually approach the movie almost like a sports movie you know where you have the competition you have the locker room scene like they added Mm -hmm. some of those things in that aren't necessarily quite reality at, at Top Gun, but to kind of give it that feel. And again, it really, 
I think that's what helps people kind of latch on to the film because they already intuitively know what this movie is. Even if it's about guys doing things in planes that you'll never do yourself. You mm-hmm. understand what this is because this is basically an air sports movie. Yeah. So it went, and I'm so glad like that you, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that you use that phrase though, like rock and roll in the air. Cause I'm like, yes, that totally says what I feel about this movie and like why I romanticize it so much because it, that's what I feel whenever I watch it is like, it's, constantly got your heartbeat pumping and something cool to look at as well as this really great emotional story beneath it so yeah it's awesome so you know christy i i think i think it's it's probably going to be pretty low from you but um what would you rate top gun uh well you know like you said me pretty low but um no i'm just kidding it i think i'm going to give it Five out of five sliders because he's a pretty cool pilot and a great <laughs> volleyball player. Slider, you smell. You stink. You stink. What? <laughs> My bad. Well, uh, My bad. you know, the plaque for the alternates Crash is down by burn. the ladies' room. Crash and burn. <laughs> Did you hear me? Yes. I heard you about your alternate plaque. I don't need your alternate plaque. Hey, whose um, butt did you kiss to get in here? <laughs> well, the list is long and distinguished, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, i i would I would say for me, this is a four out of five. You know, I I really like this movie. It's a, it's so much fun, and I I do think one of the keys to this movie is that it does know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. and I think that's a key to having a movie be pretty good, right? Like, uh, you know. A movie needs to understand what it's trying to be. And I I truly think that they were able to find the right tone. They were able to find right everything for this movie. And yeah, it is four out of five volleyball scenes. So there you go. Very good. Um, Now, uh, Christy, before we get out of here, what would you like to recommend to everybody this week? So... Along the lines of this being a movie that I have loved throughout my life, uh, I'm going to recommend one of my other favorite movies. Um, and actually, it kind of fits with the 80s genre as well. Um, but if you haven't seen it, you've probably missed a pretty big part of, part of pop culture. Um, I'm going to recommend Dirty Dancing. And I know it may sound kind of cheesy, but uh, I feel like just like this one, it's something that it's got that emotional depth to it. Um, it's got some really iconic scenes, but then also it can teach you a great lesson about life is not all about who has the most money. Um, and it, I, it's a movie that, again, I've watched over and over and over again because it's got that message to it um, and not just attractive actors. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, I have a, a really strange recommend. Um, so as everything starts to open back up, my recommendation is helping out those businesses around you, you know, that are starting to open back up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, going, you know, I just happened to be out this weekend and I went to a local coffee shop because they were open. And, uh, and then I went to, uh, Barnes and Noble and I bought a book because it was on sale and, you know, I 
I just, you know, whether it's large or small, you know, I want people to continue to have jobs. And um, the only way yeah. that's going to happen is is if we continue to support them now that especially they're getting back to work. And so, um, you know, it's it's a strange recommend because it won't matter in the future, but it's still really important. Um, and uh, it was just no, great to see, you know, people again <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out, well, and out I mean, at a coffee shop or, and, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, I just, um, I really... Uh, it, it it was great uh, to just in, in, interact with people too and um, see life slowly get to back to a little bit of normalcy. So um, yeah, I'm excited um, and I'm excited because I, you know, we've got some, some great things that we're going to be talking about uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Um, but uh, Christy, uh, if anybody does want to catch up with you and uh, see what's going on, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And I also do a, a couple of other shows in addition to 602 Club. I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells, which is on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. And so we'll actually be talking about um, some news with Star Wars Celebration um, you know, things like that on our next episode, as well as a surprise. So stay tuned for that. I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanta Tracks Network with five women from around the world talking about different Star Wars topics. So uh, soon we'll be covering costuming, um, whether we have enough Funko Pops <laughs> and other things like that in Star Wars. And uh, lastly, I also do a segment called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report once a month about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. You know, it's funny you were saying that thing about Funko Pops, and my wife randomly was counting all the Funko Pops that we have mm -hmm. in the house, and I think that we have 90 to 100, which is an insane thought. So, and it doesn't seem like it till you no, actually do that. It doesn't. <laughs> It's uh, anyway, so uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Um, I'm here in the network uh, doing uh, the Orb with Chris Jones. When we get a chance, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. We're talking about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. We're in the Deathly Hallows now. So uh, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. Each and every week, we're diving into a new Star Wars topic, uh, something that's inspired by something we've seen in Star Wars recently, something we've been thinking about Star Wars. It's it's honestly, I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's just so much fun. We're just sitting down talking about Star Wars the way you would with your best buds. Uh, and last but not least, do cinema stories with my good friend Courtney. We're talking about films through the lens of faith, and we are hoping to be back now that life is starting to open back up and get back to normal to some regular podcasting, so you can look for that. Yay. And, uh yeah, but um, thank you so much for joining us. And don't lose that love and feeling, you hear?